0: Good morning again. Good morning. God is sure good to us. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Melissa. That's going to be a tough one to follow. Great job. It's great when we see God working through us and teaching through us and He uses imperfect vessels to accomplish His will and purpose and not just with Melissa or me or Steve, but with each one of us. He works through us, and He entrusts His work to us, yet He works through each one of us, and He resolves our imperfections in what we do. Let us pray. Father, thank You for this day, and. We thank you for the time that you've given us together so far today, Lord. And Father, as your word is about to be preached, Lord, we just ask that you speak the words that you want spoken, that you teach what you want taught today. Father, that you're quick in our hearts, that your spirit does overflow each one of us, Lord. Father, that we're prepared to learn today, that we're prepared to grow closer to you, that we're prepared to take what you've given us today, Lord, and use it in the way that you see fit in each one of us. For, Father, you have given each one of us different gifts, and you have accomplished much through each one of us. And, Father, sometimes we forget the things that you've done through us. And, Father, sometimes we don't pay attention to the Holy Spirit as we should. And, Father, we just ask that you make each one of our lives every day more keen on what the Spirit's trying to teach us and what you're trying to speak through them. And, Father, as we move forward with this service, we just ask again that you teach us that you bless us, and that you encourage us today. And we ask this in the gracious and holy name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. What is the significance of the ascension? Why did Jesus depart the earth in such a manner? What were his intentions by leaving the earth? Why not just hang out with us? Why not just establish his kingdom right here and now? But once he has completed his redemptive work and his time on earth was completed, it was time for him to return to his throne in heaven. And though he left, he didn't leave us. We can always know that God is with us. We can know that he loves us with an everlasting love, That he wants us to continually depend on him. He wants us to trust him. And he wants us to know that no matter what, we always can lean on him and trust in the things that he has for us. You see, God, he he works through each one of us every day. And he has a plan for each one of us. He's prepared for us, what he has prepared for us we may not understand sometimes in our journey as we walk. I think about what um, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law are experiencing right now with the major injury of their, uh, their son, who they love very dearly. Can they make sense of what's going on there? Do they understand why God has allowed that to happen in their lives? But you know, there is purpose for everything that God allows in our lives, though we may not understand it. There is purpose for it, and and we may not understand that purpose this side of heaven. But we must keep our faith and we must continue to strive for perfection that God has placed in each one of us through Jesus Christ. He has a plan for each of us and the work He has prepared for us will be to glorify Christ and His holy name. See it's not about us, it's about God and what He's accomplished through Jesus Christ. Gartner said, Christ departing this earth prepared the way for such New Testament doctrines as Christ being exalted as heavenly king and the role of Christ as mediator. Without the ascension of Jesus, his existence will be confined to this world alone. His acceptance into the kingdom, or I'm sorry, his acceptance into the presence of God assures believers that his mission has been accomplished. His exaltation at the right hand of God means that his new status as Lord and Christ has been confirmed by God. Before we really talk a lot about the ascension, I'd like to take a little bit step back and let's talk about our history a little bit and how we got where we are. And, and uh, I'm going to move all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, where God created what is good. God didn't create things that were bad. He created what is good. And in Genesis 1.31, God saw that all that He has made, and He said, it is very good. It wasn't God that messed things up. It was us. We messed things up. And we can go to Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1, to see that. You see, God accomplished many good things all the way up to the fall, and He created everything that is good. But as we go to Genesis chapter three, and starting in verse three, we see, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say to you, you must not eat from the tree, any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. At this moment in time, They realized their mistake, but it was too late, wasn't it? They disobeyed God. And as everything that I've read in scriptures up to this point in in, uh, the book of Genesis, there's nothing that says that there was any other law that they had to keep other than, do not eat of the fruit of that tree. God left them free to do whatever else they wanted to, but leave the fruit of that tree alone. And they disobeyed God, didn't they? And we know that this is a pivotal moment in mankind's history. It became necessary for a redeemer to save us from our wickedness. From that point forward, we needed a redeemer, didn't we? And you know, I want to share a little personal story, something that happened this week in my life. Because even though we're Christian, we still fail. My wife asked me the other day to pick something up for her that was on the floor. And so I reached over to pick it up, I was in my recliner, reached over to pick it up, there was this fan running. And I kicked over the fan. And when I kicked over the fan, it broke one of the blades. Well, my wife has a difficulty sleeping at night. That fan running helps her to sleep and stay asleep without a lot of disturbances, and I know this. And she said to me, you're going to have to go get me another fan. This is 9.30, I'm getting ready to go to bed. I didn't want to go get a fan, and Melissa said it well. We don't do things for God when it's convenient for us. We do them now because that's what God wants us to do, right? Was it convenient for me to get up and go get a fan right then and there? Well, I'll tell you, I didn't. My stubborn self didn't, and Jen's stubborn self had a story to tell that was kind of um, hitting the heart to me, and just in a few minutes I was like, you know what, I should have just got up and went and got the fan. It would have been way better for me and our relationship and even my relationship with God if I would have just went at that moment and said, you know what, hon, you're right. I understand that it's important to you that you have that fan so you can fall asleep. But I didn't. I failed. And I believe that I sinned in that moment. Because, not because of um, not going for Jen at that moment, but because of my attitude behind it and me not wanting to do it and and, 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 and everything that ensued after that all played a role into it. I sinned. So I need a redeemer. God is using an imperfect individual right here to share his love with you right now. But you see, thankfully, God has already forgiven me. I've prayed to him and I've asked him to forgive me, and I know he has. But you know, Romans 3.23 teaches us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not one person in this room that hasn't. And there's not one person in this room that, will not, that, will, that can say, I will never sin again. <clears throat> Even the redeemed, we fall short of the glory of God. And that's why we need a redeemer. But thankfully, God doesn't stop there. Because if you go to Romans 6.23, he says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is what? eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So you see, even in our failings, God loves us. How many of us out here have said to ourselves, you know what, I should just give up, because you know what, I'm not gonna be, I I can't do it, I can't make it. You know, I had those kind of thoughts just this week when I was struggling with uh, this thing that just happened with Jen and I because that bothered me after I thought about it. It really bothered me. But you know, I'm like, God, how can you work with someone like me? I'm gonna be preparing a sermon to share with the church and I just don't feel that I'm adequate for this job. <clears throat> and you know what? I'm not. I am not adequate for this job. The only reason I can do the job that God has given me to do here is because of His Spirit, His Spirit working through me. Because outside of Him, I'm nothing. And that's the way each one of us should feel and understand, that outside of God, we are nothing. But I can be confident that my sins are already paid for because Christ nailed them to the cross when He died for me and you. He loves each one of us. And then then when we we, uh, see that we are in this situation that we cannot solve, we can't solve this problem, can we? The problem of sin in our lives. It requires God's intervention. And if God did not intervene, we would have no hope of salvation, would we? We would have no hope of a good future. We would be doomed for hell for all of eternity. But let's take a look at Genesis chapter three, verse 15, because God didn't just leave Adam and Eve hanging and saying, well, you know what you sin. So I'm going to wipe you from the world. That's not what he did we see an illusion of Christ uh, coming to this earth and providing a way of salvation right here in Genesis 3, chapter 15. Because God wanted to bring reconciliation between us and Him. And He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and He will crush your head, and you will strike His heel. That's an allusion to the cross right there. Jesus already had a plan laid out. The Father had a plan laid out before this world was even created, before the foundations of the earth were done. God already had a plan for our redemption. How is that for an eternal, loving God? But God wasn't happy with just providing a way of salvation for us, was he? He wanted us also to know that we're sinners. He wanted us to see that we're sinners, that we fall short of His glory. So what did He do? He created the law, didn't He? Did He create the law so we could be saved through the law? We've learned that the law doesn't save, didn't we? We've learned that many times and through many scriptures. The law doesn't save. It actually exposes our sin, doesn't it? It condemns our soul. It doesn't save us. The law is not our redeemer. The law is what makes us realize and understand the depths of our wicked ways and how evil we really are. Does anybody have to tell you when you do wrong? Ever? Is there ever a time that somebody has to point out to you you've done something wrong? Or do you just have an innate ability to understand you were wrong? That ability to know when you're wrong is because of the law that God has placed in your heart to expose that sin for what it is. See, but he didn't stop there, did he? He promised a Redeemer, and he delivered us a Redeemer. And then we see this Redeemer, Jesus Christ, arrives on the scene as a baby. He came in the world as vulnerable as any other human being comes into this world, didn't he? He put aside his prerogatives of being God. He set them aside. It didn't change that he was God. He just didn't act on the authority that he had as God while he was on this earth. He put aside those uh, prerogatives and privileges of being God and became nothing. And we learn in John 1, 14, that he became flesh and dwelt among us. God in flesh, Jesus Christ. And he entrusted us to his care, didn't he? Mary and Joseph, God entrusted them. To his care and to make sure that he was raised and protected as he grew in knowledge, strength, and stature. And see, in Christ's earthly ministry, he was a healer, wasn't he? He caused the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, and the blind to see. He raised the dead. He fed thousands with a couple of loaves and a couple of fish, he fed thousands. If we tried to do that with a couple of loaves and a couple of fish, we'd feed a few, and we'd probably still be hungry because we probably should have only fed a couple, and we fed a few. But you see, God showed us that He has authority through the Father and the Spirit working through him. And he taught and spoke with authority like none other, didn't he? But you see, he didn't come to this earth to stay here. He came to this earth to provide a way of our salvation. He knew when he came to this earth that he was laying his life down. And he did just that. He was betrayed by one of his own. Even Peter denied him three times. Peter denied him. The rest of the disciples ran away. Jesus died on the cross alone. He was beaten and he suffered greatly beyond the suffering of any other person ever alive. He suffered greatly. And he did it because he loves us with an everlasting love, with a love that he's poured out through His death. And the blood that was spilled is on each one of us. And that blood is our redemption. You see, Jesus doesn't have to keep sacrificing Himself over and over again, does He? He wasn't like the priests of old where they had to go in time and time again and offer on the altar blood of bulls and goats to cover our sin. This was a once-for-all payment for our sin. There is absolutely nothing left to pay. So you can have confidence when you stand before God and say to Him, You are my God. You are my Savior and my Redeemer. No matter what we experience in our lives, nothing can take that from us. He has given that to us. It's a free gift bestowed upon us. All we have to do is accept it. But Jesus just dying wasn't going to be a complete picture of our salvation, was it? He raised again in three three days. He raised again to life. And he walked this earth. For, what, about 40 days he walked this earth. He appeared before many people and disappeared. And he restored Peter. You remember the story of when he restored Peter, right? Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He restored Peter to his place as one of his disciples, which also is one of the apostles. And the real message I want to talk about today really here is Christ's ascension and the purpose for his ascension. Because you know, but in order for us to talk about the ascension, we have to understand why he had to ascend. We have to understand we're sinners. We had to understand that Christ came to this earth and lived on this earth and experienced life as a human being. And then he laid down his life. For his friends, that's you and me. He laid down his life and then he took it up again in three days and then it was time to ascend and we're going to go to Acts chapter 1 starting in verse 1. <clears throat> and in my formal book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit, the apostles he had chosen, to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command: "Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift." My father promised, which you have heard me speak about. He told them to wait. Don't go anywhere. Wait. And can you imagine Jesus leaving the scene and not telling them to wait and them trying to go out and share the gospel message and to share the love of God without the power of the Spirit of God behind them, trying to do it on human power? It would not be effective, would it? It is only because of the Spirit of God overflowing in our lives that we have the ability to speak and and share the message of God. And that's including the apostles. In order for them to really have power in what they're doing and the power of God behind them, the Spirit of God had to be indwelling them. They had to have the power of God to be able to speak boldly and to share His word with the lost and dying world. You see, so they had to wait for the Holy Spirit. They had to wait for the Spirit to arrive on scene so the Spirit could have indwelled them so they could share God's great love. And then in verse five, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And then he said to them, it is not for you to know the time or dates that the father has set by his own authority. See, Jesus didn't want them to worry about future events. He didn't want them to worry about what is yet to come. He wanted them to focus on what's going on right now. He wanted them to focus on the gift that he was about to pour out on them because he knew that they had a great ministry ahead of them. And he knew that we have a great ministry ahead of us. See, this message right here wasn't just for the apostles. It was for us also, because God wants us to know that, yes, it's important that we understand that Christ is going to return, and yes, it's important that we know these things and we should always be prepared, but that should never be our primary focus. And anybody who thinks that their primary focus should be focused on eschatology is wrong. Our primary focus should be out sharing the love of God with the world. That's where our focus should be. If our focus is in doing the work of God and accomplishing His will and purpose in this life, we are going to be prepared when He comes. When He comes, He's going to come. We can't change that. Let's be doing His work when He comes. Amen. It is only by the Spirit of God that that work is going to get accomplished. It's not studying eschatology. It's not just studying the Word of God, but it's acting out the Word of God in our lives. See, all these things are important, but the acting out of the love of God in our lives is what moves people. It's what changes hearts. It's what transforms lives because the Spirit of God is working through us. So in verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And he said this and was taken up before their very eyes in a cloud that hid him from their sight. I was thinking when I was studying this, hmm. Where else did we see Jesus in a cloud? And the transfiguration came to my mind. You see, the apostles may have remembered that. They were there. And remember when he was asking him, should we build three tabernacles? That they were enveloped in a cloud? Remember that? And then also I got to thinking, well, how did God lead the people of Israel around? Didn't a cloud follow them and lead them in the direction that they were to go and a pillar of fire at night, cloud by day? And it seems fitting that as Jesus is being ascended, that he's enveloped by a cloud. Let's take a minute and go to Luke 9.28. And about eight days after Jesus said this, He took Peter, John, and James with Him and went up on a mountain to pray. And He was praying and the appearance of His face changed and His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. And while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son who I have chosen, listen to him. And when the voice has spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. And the disciples kept this them to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. And then also in Exodus chapter 40 starting on verse 34 where then a cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And all the travels of Israel whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle they would set out but if the cloud did not lift they did not set out until the day that it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire in the cloud by night in the sight of all those of the house of Israel during their travels. You see the ascension is an important part of what has to happen, had to happen to complete what God was trying to accomplish, and also we see in Acts 10, or I'm sorry, one ten, that they were looking intently up into the sky and was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. And real quick, there are four purposes of the ascension that, just as I was looking through, that I see. And the first one, Jesus was going to prepare a place for his people. Jesus didn't just leave us behind. He's going to prepare a place for us because he loves us. Uh, Number two, he is seated and a sign that his atoning work is completed and final. His atoning work is done. So he left as a sign that his work on this earth is completed. He accomplished what he came here to accomplish. Number three, he intercedes for his people. God hears intercession from Christ on our behalf constantly. Jesus intercedes for us to the Father couple of verses on your own to look up a little later, Romans 8.34, Roman, I'm sorry, Hebrews 7.25. Verse 4, or number 4 reason, he is waiting until his enemies are subdued and will return as the final act in the establishment of the Kingdom of God. I love that song that Steve sang. I asked him to sing that song today because I wanted to make my final points using some of the words from that song. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Not just in the surroundings of this building, but you are welcome here in my heart. Here as part of me. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Let me be filled and let what you got to teach others through me flow from me. Let your spirit fill the atmosphere around me, God, that others are touched and others are ministered to because I'm being obedient to the things that you've called me to, God. See, he's given us the spirit so that we can accomplish his will and purpose. And if you feel that the spirit of God is not working in your life, well, then you've got to get in alignment with what God wants you to do and accomplish. Because when you're working God's will, the Spirit of God will overflow in you. You won't even be able to contain it, it's going to flow, and you're going to be speaking and sharing God's love, not just with your words, but also through your actions. I'm going to just jump up and say, you know what, it's time to go get that fan. And if you think God does not care about those tiny things, you're wrong. He cares about those little things. Melissa said it. When you want to do things is not necessarily when God's calling you to do things. God is calling you to do things even in times that you don't want to. You say, okay, God, I'm going to be obedient to you. Another part of the verse, your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. If we long for the glory of God, God's glory is going to be on us in such a way that we cannot contain it. We're not going to be able to contain it. We will be overcome by His presence and will not be able to leave it alone. We will have to share it. We will have to express the love of God that He has put into us. He didn't give us that love to keep it to ourselves. He gave us that love because He wants us to express it to the world. So brothers and sisters, as I close, say a prayer to God in your heart that you want to express His love to the world. Not condemn the world. Love the world. That's how we reach people for Christ. That's how we fill chairs in this place. By the love of God. Not by the condemnation of the sin, but because His love overcomes that condemnation.